Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. We're going to get to a bunch of calls. I got to say, guys, um, you know, there's there's some days that are just uh, hit a little bit harder than other days. And um, today was one of those days. You know, when you cover a team, you get to know players you get to know people you get to know people in the organization you get to know coaches you, you know and so I don't root for teams or anything like that um, I can't I have to be impartial that's what my job is covering the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review Journal and even here I'm trying to give it to you guys as straight as possible no pom-poms no overreactions on the other end of it the negative side of it just kind of straight down the line how I see it what I'm hearing and all those type of things um, but you do get to know uh, people, and in particular, I got to know uh, Alec Ingold uh, really well. My first big assignment covering the Raiders after moving here from Los Angeles was to go out and hang out with Alec Ingold for a week in Wisconsin. The whole story was, here's this fullback going into his second year. How is he spending his offseason? What is he doing to go get better? And so I, I you know, reached out to him. He's like, yeah, come on down. you know. Uh, and it was in the dead of the winter. It was right before COVID really hit, too. Dead of the winter, and I uh, got to watch him work out, which was incredible workout. Just the the diligence, um, you know, and, and hang out with him for a week. Go to his high school out in Green Bay, and just get to know him. And so, um, you know, uh, it's 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 I, I've known Alec now for for a while, and talking to him today, I wrote a story. It's on Vegas Nation, uh, the app, or just go to Las Vegas Review Journal, Vegas Nation, you know, on the computer. He's heartbroken. He loved being a Raider. And it still might work out. We'll see. But the door is kind of closing on him. Uh, His whole goal, Alec, was to be the greatest fullback in franchise history. He didn't assume that that was going to happen. He didn't, you know, uh, say, I'm going to be it. He goes, I just want to be up there with all the greats uh, at that position in this organization. He loves it. And um, so, you know, for, for me, knowing him and getting to know him and writing about him and and uh, interviewing him and all that, uh, it, it sucks, to be honest with you, but that's part of this business. He's going to land on his feet one way or another, um, whether it's re- remaining here in Las Vegas or moving on in his career. He's too good of a football player uh, not to, but, uh, but these are the type of days where you're like, ah, oh, what a bummer, man, um, because there is – truly is a human side to all of this. And that's, I try to remind you guys sometimes on Twitter, it's easy not to remember that there's human beings, literally human beings with lives and, you know, getting ready to get married and families and, you know, feelings and all of that type of stuff. Uh, it's really real for all of these guys. And, and right now he's going through a tough one because this is where he wanted to be. Um, and I'm sure, like I said, he's going to land on his feet and it'll be all good for, for Alec Engel moving forward. All right. We've got a whole bunch of calls to get to. Robert is in San Jose. How you doing, Robert? Uh, thanks for taking my uh, call, Vinny. And like you, I wish Alec uh, all the best. And hopefully we'll see him uh, in a rare uniform in the future. But if not, uh, good luck with his career down the road. Uh, having said that, uh, I don't see anyone in the tackle market that I would spend big money on uh, in terms of free agents. So I'm, I'm still thinking the Raiders should spend somewhat of a high pick on an offensive tackle coming out, perhaps mm-hmm. in the second round. Yep. Well, I was wondering what you thought of the three defensive tackles uh, out of Georgia. And if you had your choice, which one would you take? Well, if I had my choice, it would be Davis, <laughs> the that dude was just a uh, a, a man child uh, a in college and b 
um, just a uh, physical phenomenon at the combine, um, and and really loved the attitude, loved the work ethic, uh, loved what he put out on tape uh, in Indianapolis. And I just look at that Georgia. Let's just draft the whole Georgia defense. If you're any team in the NFL. You might want to just draft the entire Georgia defense that's coming out right now, <laughs> and you'd probably do okay for yourself uh, if you did that. But um, but yeah, I think defensive line is, is huge, and uh, I threw out Sebastian uh, Joseph Day. He's a, uh, f- a soon-to-be free agent tackle, defensive tackle from the Rams. I think they need to solidify the interior of that of, of that defense. I know run defense or stopping the run. Some people kind of overlook that a little bit, but man, that has to be your foundation uh, and try to make a team as one-dimensional as possible, even if that one dimension is throwing the ball, because then you can pin your ears back and do a lot of creative things uh, to, to stop people in the pass game. So the interior of the defensive line, I think you're on the right track uh, right there. That's where I would focus. Um, as far as offensive tackles and free agency, no, I'm not, I don't think you have to break the bank uh, either. I think what the Raiders need is just some competence at that position because they were well below average last year. They were downright awful at right tackle last year. If they could even just lift that to good, it's a huge improvement. It's like night and day kind of an improvement. I also expect Alex Leatherwood to get better over at right guard. So if they could just lift that level of play at right tackle to good, and it doesn't require breaking the bank to do that, um, then I, I think that That'll be a big step forward for them on the offensive line. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Fargo Raider is on the line. Fargo Raider, man, thanks for those potato chips yesterday, the chocolate-covered potato chips. Those were amazing, my brother. Oh, thank you, and thank you for taking my call, Vinny and Damon. Yeah, those things uh, oh. those things are addictive, man. That chocolate, you could put that chocolate on anything. I put I, If you dunk a chocolate, that chocolate, I'll eat it. <laughs> it's the devil's work. I tell you that yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> it, yeah. Those were. I, I had a. I, I told. I don't know who took them home. It might have been Demond. Could have been Q. But I said just. I just wrap them up and take them away from me because I'll. I'll just knock out the. I'll crush that box right now. So, uh, but those were really good. I, we really appreciate. it. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, of course. Um, you know, I called in earlier to Q show doom and gloom, and that's not usually my style. I try to keep it light, bring a little bit of uh, of insight on the fan perspective. So I, I I just whipped myself up a New Orleans seafood, and mm. now I'm now I'm feeling a little bit better. So I'm just gonna say, you know, like we're I think the nation is reacting how we are, not only because of the moves on the outside, but really because everybody still has a sore spot from that Mac trade. And now we know he's won two trades already, you know? And then, which, what really drove that home is that, you know, the possible exodus of uh, Ingold. Man, Ingold is the quintessential Raider player, you know? He came in undrafted. He worked his way onto the roster. He worked his way onto the captain squad. He, he, to the majority of us who are, you know, blue-collar people, he's a blue-collar guy, you know? So it sucks to see our guy go. And that triggers a lot of, a lot of feelings in the Raider Nation. A lot of us get frustrated because this is now, let's not say rebuild, fine. But this is now the fourth time in in the in I mean since 2002 that we've had we've seen a regime and seemingly they're going to turn over the roster 
maybe not as fast as Gruden did it, but we know eventually they're going to want to get to the guys that they want. And you know, it sucks. My, my, my entire fandom, basically I've seen more rebuilds than play than, uh, Winning seasons and it's frustrating. No, I it's, and I, it's I, tough to go through. Yeah, I, I I get that and I understand it, but I don't. Fargo, I don't I don't think this is a rebuild. I don't think the the uh, the regime looks at it as a rebuild. Um, I think that they really believe that they are some a handful, maybe shrewd, smart, intelligent, prudent decisions uh, away from taking another step. You know, I. I I have to remind fans this, and I know it's easy to forget. The Raiders did go to the playoffs last year. They won four straight games, uh, beat the Chargers in a uh, epic ball game over at Allegiant Stadium. Um, it was a playoff game. They won four playoff games. I'm going to put it that. I'm going to. I'm going to say it that way. Uh, down the stretch, they lived four uh, playoff games because they were all must-win situations. If the Raiders had lost any of those games, they play themselves out of a playoff spot, but instead they won all those games. And what I really liked about it was they were kind of limping around a little bit offensively uh, going into those four games. They were not right. They weren't right on the offensive line. Um, you know, obviously Henry Ruggs was no longer there. Uh, Darren Waller didn't play in a bunch of those games, but they still figured out a way to win. And I think that is so important, and I think it gets overlooked what the Raiders did last year in terms of turning a corner just on the mindset that it takes to compete at that level and get it done at that level. And that game against the Chargers and really the next game against the Bengals where they pushed the eventual AFC champions to the brink on the road in cold weather and all that. Um, you have to kind of re- – I know it's tough right now because teams in the division are making some moves and, oh, what's going on with the Raiders? You have to remind yourself, this was a pretty good team last year and got places, even though it was a team that we all understood, knew that there were some there were some issues that they had to get squared away and issues that were not going to get really squared away until now, today, this next week, free agency. And not to say they're going to check off all of their boxes, but... Um, all of those issues that were there last year that they overcame, they overcame a lot to do what they did. And I give them a lot of credit for doing that. And I think it, it you know, Alec, when I was talking to Alec earlier today, uh, one of the things that, that, that hurts him most is that he's not going to be part of seeing this thing through. But he, he, he has full belief that uh, what they started, and he was part of that, he was part of that, you know, in that 2019 group that came in here and said, basically, enough is enough. Enough is enough. We got to get this thing squared away. And that leadership group from that draft class and free and um, and undrafted free agent uh, class uh, has been the backbone of this team. Obviously, Derek Carr is you know the 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 heart and soul of the team, but the backbone of the team is really that 2019 class. And yeah, there's been some additions along the way. Um, there's been some last year's draft I thought was a really good draft, and the free agency class was really good as well. If they can back that up with another strong performance in free agency and in the draft, there's no reason to think that they can't build off of what they. Um, you know, created last year, the foundation that they that they set last year. There's no reason to think that they can't. Now, it's going to take some creativity. It's going to take some wise decisions. It's going to take decisions paying off. You know, the Raiders, 
when John Gruden took over and, you know, obviously they, they went through a complete rebuild um, and, and tore the roster down. I don't expect that to happen at all. Um, but along the way, they were able to gather a bunch of assets and free up a lot of cap space um, to, to rebuild. And unfortunately, there were just too many misses along the way in that process. Imagine if the Raiders had hit you know, with the fourth pick overall in 2019 and the other two first-round picks that they had. Now, I like Josh Jacobs as a player. I think that was a hit. I don't know what the likelihood of him staying behind his first contract. It's running backs are just a different deal these days. So, But he's been a good player. To me, that was a hit, that pick. Some people may argue, nah, you don't take a running back that high, whatever. He's been a productive player for, for the Raiders. Jonathan Abram, I think... You know, for him, unfortunately, this new coaching staff and the new scheme defensively, to whatever extent it changes, could affect him pretty, pretty, um, pretty majorly. You know, um, we saw what he did struggling as a um, as a as a pass cover safety. It's just not in his wheelhouse. Uh, he got squared away, moving closer to the line of scrimmage uh, last year under Gus Bradley, and had a pretty good year. Got on the right track, but. That role might not even be available to him uh, this year. So what happens with him? But my point is, had they hit majorly on those three picks, and then the 2020 draft, the two first-round picks there that aren't even on the team anymore, that's five players right now, five players at premium draft picks that you know probably won't be here. I, we know, obviously, Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett aren't, but the other three may not even be here by next year. It's just like, where would the Raiders be had they hit on, you know, three, like hit big time on three of those picks? Not to mention the free agents misses, some of the trade misses. Um, it just, it, it was wasted. In some cases, it was wasted time. Now, I'll say this. There was some good time spent as well. And you saw that with the draft class this year. You saw it with... You know, Max Crosby, obviously, Hunter Renfro, Alec Ingold was a good player uh, coming in as an undrafted free agent. Daniel Carlson, um, A.J. Cole, right? Uh, um, Foster Moreau. You know, there's, there's, there's been some, some definite his, uh, hits. Trayvon Morig. I think Divine Diablo is going to be a good player. I'm really anxious to see what Malcolm Kuntz. We talked about Malcolm Kuntz yesterday. A year more mature, being able to really hone his craft. I think he's got a, an exceptional skill. It might be one skill right now, but his ability to get to the quarterback is exceptional. It's really, really high level. And I think that now going into his second year and with uh, you know a defensive coordinator that's going to watch the film and see, obviously, hey, this dude has a knack for getting to the quarterback – there's ways to be able to utilize him and use him. I'm still, I still think that Tyree Gillespie uh, has 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 something to offer. You know, kind of an injury riddled first year. Uh, wasn't able to get out there uh, and practice and put the time in uh, necessarily. But uh, I, if you watch the film from Missouri, there's there's a lot to like there. So we'll see how he fits uh, into the mix. So there's, you know, and and I gotta give. Mike Mayock and John Gruden credit for, for, for those picks. Colt Miller um, was a big hit. I think Andre James is headed in the right direction. He really finished the year strong. So I look at this, you know, when we when when uh Fargo just talked about another rebuild, I, I just don't see it. 
I, I, I think it's attacking on. It's a building of, building from, not rebuild. Rebuild is just strip it down, start all over. And I do not see the need for that. I think it's there's a foundation there. You got Enoch Ngagwe and Max Crosby, two of the best rush ends in the NFL, maybe the best rush tandem in the NFL. Now, Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa are going to have a little bit of something to say about that, but that's okay. You know, Denzel Perryman Hold is— Hold on. You basically were making it sound like Khalil Mack's I, a non-factor. I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I, I, no, he's not a non-factor. I just—I just, I don't know. And I've gotten a couple texts, I'm just saying, from people who are— you know, is A, is he the same player? A, is he that guy still? It's not about being the same player. You don't player. know. You don't know. What did he do last year? I don't, I don't, he, I'm sure, I think he played, what, 10 games or yeah, so? Yeah, he, he, he was not that much of a yeah, factor we'll last season. But my point is, because it seems like you're coming no. around to the side of people who are like, I'm not saying that you need to be apoplectic that the Chargers have Khalil Mack. No, no. But it is definitely something to be concerned oh, about. Like yeah. you said, it's an arms race. Right. And this is a player. It's something, yeah, it's something like you're going to have to account for him. That's why I'm saying it's more, you know, now more than ever, they got to get the offensive line scored away. You give me, um, a, you know, a good offensive line for any team, you're going to be able to, to hang tough against even good uh, defensive lines. Now, when you're a bad offensive line, that's that's an issue. So right now, if the Raiders were to roll out the same offensive line that they had last year, that's an issue. But I don't expect that to be the case. So that's why, and that's why I'm not freaking out right now. Or, or what I'm saying is, I wouldn't. If I were to 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 counsel Raider fans, I wouldn't freak out right now. It's way too early in the process. There's no game on Sunday. There's no games for a whole bunch of Sundays. Plenty of time to get it figured out on what the Raiders need to do to be the best version of themselves. That's that's the key to this whole thing. I don't get any sense that Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler are the type of guys and leaders and Champ Kelly as well that are going to be freaking out over other teams making some moves because I think their goal is how do we make and create and build the best version of the Raiders. And the conviction and the confidence in that is if they do, they'll be able to deal with anybody on any given Sunday. And no worries about whatever the Chargers are doing. Whatever, Of course you're keeping an eye on it. You have to. But you don't freak out about it. You just your, your goal, your objective, what the task is, is to build the best version of the Raiders possible. And I really believe that the best version of the, of, of the Raiders – is in front of them and, and and not as far as people think. Not especially, it's not a rebuild away. It's just not a rebuild away. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Uh, Sanger Rainer is on the line. Sanger Rainer. Hey, Vinny. Thanks for taking my call, man. You got it. Um, hey, I've been listening to, you know, all of the pre-agent talk and stuff like that. And just wondered, is there any interest in Marcus Mariota from other teams? Um, well, a he's a free agent, so um, yes. To, to to answer the question, yes, um, there will be. I think he's going to land someplace and maybe a favorable place. Who knows? Maybe he goes to Indianapolis and they give him a, a fair shot. I still think that Marcus Mariota can play. Um, the my my issue would be if I was signing him is buyer beware because he has a tough time staying healthy, and it's just if you look at the history of his career. 
It's always been an issue. Staying healthy has always been an issue. And even with the Raiders, in limited time, in limited time, he was always, you know, uh, it, the health was always a factor. So, but but if, I, if I'm a team, yeah, man, I, I think I, what I saw enough when he played against the Los Angeles Chargers a couple of years ago, um, you know, after Derek got hurt, Marcus Mariota comes off the bench and almost helps the Raiders win that game in overtime. Um, I liked what I saw. I thought he was borderline electrifying uh, at times. I'd like to see that on the field on a consistent basis. The The issue, again, is uh, can he stay on the field on a consistent basis? What a crazy story it would be if he went to Indianapolis and back to the AFC South where he played many years with the Tennessee Titans and turned it around and stayed healthy. I think he could help a team like the uh I think he could uh, help a, a, a team like the Colts who are you know right there basically. I think they have bigger fish to fry right now, but it'll be interesting to see what the Colts do. They could get shut out. I think they took a gamble trading Carson Wentz. I'm not even on the Carson Wentz wagon, but at least you know he was a guy that last year had them in position to go to the playoffs. It just didn't end well losing to the Raiders and then gosh, darn Losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars, inexplicable, inexplicable. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line, Derek Carr's hair is on the line. By the way, I saw Derek Carr's hair a couple of weeks ago, and it looked a lot better. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying it was, it was, it was in order. Derek Carr's hair. Hey, how you doing, Vinny? I'm good, man. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, hey, so I had uh, two questions, one observation, and a question for you. So I guess for me, uh, I want Derek to stay in Vegas. I think he's, he's the guy. But, uh, you know, you heard the Colts name batted around a little bit the last couple of days. I guess for me it's like what, what would be an offer that the Raiders can't refuse? You know, what is that godfather offer? What would it look like from your perspective? And then my final question is I've also heard Lyle Collins is probably going to be available because uh, the Cowboys overpaid for Zeke. Sign me up. Uh, so, yeah, right? So what would you give up for a player like that? He's young. He plays right tackle. I think that's the best option. I would personally give up picks. But that's yeah, um, if I could, I guess a third-round pick, maybe a, a third and a uh, and a future, you know, fourth or so. Um, you know, I'm not going to just give up a one or a two. That's, that's for sure. Um, by the way... <laughs> I'm not even going to mention this guy's name. You asked, um, you know, what a Godfather offer would look like for the Raiders to trade Derek Carr to the uh, to the to the Colts. Um, there's somebody out there who tweeted this: If the Colts are all in on Derek Carr, here's the trade I'd want. Since Indiana or Indianapolis has zero first round picks, which they don't uh, to offer this year. Raiders receive a 2022 second-round pick, number 42, a 2022 third-round pick, number 73, a 2022 fifth-round pick, number 158, Quentin Nelson, Brandon Smith, and Darius Leonard for Derek Carr. I'm like, number one, obviously, if you're the Raiders, that's something that you'd have to consider. But there's no way the Colts are going to give up Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, and all those picks I'm sorry for Derek Carr. And if I'm Derek Carr, I'm like, why would I want to go to the Colts after they gave up some of their best players to go get me right there? So, yeah, I mean, that's just it's it's uh, that would be a uh, 
my eyebrows would raise if that were the call that the Colts made um, to the, to the Raiders. But you know, I they're not going to do that. Number one, why would they? And uh, number two, um, if I'm Derek Carr, I'm not sure I'd even want to go go there. Considering all does he the have whole, a no trade clause? Um, I think that, and then he's on the last year of his deal, so he wouldn't. You, no, no, no yeah, no, no. He would have no say in the matter. He wouldn't. But that's he, a bad deal. That's a bad deal for both teams. It, it's a bad deal. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and then um, because I've seen this as well. This is uh Mitchell Renz on Twitter, but that's it's a bad deal for both teams. Yeah, Th- like why would the why would the Raiders do that? Because if you do that, because all all the time you hear people say, oh, even if you get back the picks, but these are proven players. Okay, proven players. Mm-hmm. But who are you, with what quarterback are you winning games well, with? Well, I mean, if you're the again, I've and I've said this, you know, quite often. If you're if you're the Raiders, you don't make a trade like even like this, unless you have some safety net quarterback that you got that you're going to be able to simultaneously, you know, say, oh, and oh, by the way. We're you know bringing in Deshaun uh, Watson or I don't Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's just say I know that um, you know that's not a name that that really excites uh, a, a whole lot of people. But you know, and and that's the thing with the Colts. Everyone talks about the Colts are interested in Derek Carr. The Colts are interested in Derek Carr. If I'm not getting a first round pick, right? You know, a first round pick this year. Um, I'm really not looking at it. And I just can't see that the Quentin Nelson is like. On his way to the Hall of Fame, that guy is really good. I don't, I don't see the Colts making somebody like that available in a trade like this. It would have to be for a bunch of picks, a bunch of future picks. Uh, I don't think Quentin Nelson would be part of, uh, of of any deal like that. Now, if you can get Quentin Nelson, if you're the Raiders somehow, some way, you do that in a heartbeat. I'm not trading Derek Carr for him, but you know that's that's definitely. But the Collins, yes, with the Dallas Cowboys, I think he would really, really solidify. Uh, the offensive line and 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 you know improve it and get it to a to a next level. I think he would be really good alongside uh, Alex Leatherwood, uh, Teron Armstead from the, the 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 Saints. Would you invest in him? I know he's a left tackle, but I mean you know go play right tackle, pay you left left tackle money, go play right tackle and make that offensive line really strong. If you could turn the offensive line into a strength against what's going to be very formidable defensive lines uh, in the AFC and specifically the AFC West, do you do you do that? You know, go get your cornerback, go get a stud right tackle, um, figure out wide receiver maybe in the in the in the draft. You know, when you think about Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr and Darren Waller, you could probably scheme it up and manufacture things where maybe you don't need the wide receiver one. Maybe you can get um you know, uh, a, a good, decent player over at wide receiver and, and role in that regard. Gangster Raider is on the line. How you doing, Gangster Raider? Hey, I'm all right. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Long time no here, long time no see. I hope all is well with you and your family. Yeah, everything's good. You know, we're going up on a year. My um, my brother's death will be on the 19th when you gave that shout-out for him. So me and my family still appreciate you for that. All love, my brother. Want- I just wanted to say something real quick. I said this about a, a two weeks ago on the morning and on, on in the morning on the, in the huddle. I mean, on the morning tailgate show yeah. that we should go after DK Metcalf. You know what I'm saying? I said that, and then Demond um, brought it up on um, their show with him and um, Q. And I agree, we need to go get DK Metcalf. That'd be nice. And we need to go get um, Jackson from the Patriots and Gilmore if we if we can afford both. And I know y'all gonna hate to hear this, but especially with the Camille Khalil Mack going to the Chargers, we need to bring back Trent Brown. You know what I'm saying? 
So if we can do those things, I think we'll be good. Think about it. That's all I want to say. Raider Nation, stand up. I'm gone. It's gangster. All right, gangster. Appreciate the call. I mean, listen, in theory, when you're talking about talent, Trent Brown, yes. He just can't stay on the field. He played eight games last year. He's played eight, six, what's 16 plus eight? 24? 24 over the last three years. 24 games over the last three years. That's not a lot of games. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Thursday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Busy day for the Raiders. Corey Littleton, huge disappointment. As a free agent signing in 2020. You can still remember the text I got. They were so happy when they signed uh, Corey Littleton. And it just made so much sense. They needed a pass cover linebacker, a guy that could run sideline to sideline. He just never materialized. So no more Corey Littleton. Colton Miller uh, gets his contract restructured. Kenyon Drake gets his contract restructured. It creates immediately about $14.5 million in cap space. You tack that on to the $20 million uh, that the Raiders had uh, going into today, and um, they're right around $34 million. Another site has it at $36 million, so we'll just we'll, we'll cut it uh, in half and say $35 million right now in cap space. Uh, i got to check to see what um, – I know Corey probably helps a little bit initially, but it's more of a long range in 2022, uh, $11.7 million in cap space, but that doesn't come free. You have to carry the contract even on a June 1st designation to June 1st, uh, but it does maximize the um, salary cap benefit for the 2022 season, just not the 2022 off season, uh, unfortunately. So um, the Raiders made some moves. Alec Ingold, unfortunately, uh, it's a harsh business sometimes. You know, Alec got hurt in week 10 against the Kansas City Chiefs, tore his ACL, um, and it just, that combined with uh, John Gruden situation, them moving, the Raiders moving in a different direction, bringing in Josh McDaniels, um, you know, they don't use the fullback as much as John Gruden used the fullback. So was the writing on the wall? Probably. Uh, it's still not cool to see. You hate it um, for, for Alec. He's just one of the um, really good people uh, in this game. And it's no secret. Look at Twitter and some of the some of his teammates that are already uh, tweeting out, um, you know, uh, their, their shout outs to El- Alec and wishing him the best. Uh, I know Josh Jacobs said that, you know, this one really hurts. I know Kenyon Drake uh, had some nice things to say about Alec. He was a he was a captain. You know, he was a, a fullback that played, you know, X amount of plays fullback, even in John Gruden's offense, wasn't a featured featured position. Um, so it wasn't like he was on the field all the time. I know he played a lot of special teams as well. Um, but he made an impact, enough of an impact in that locker room that his teammates voted him a captain. And so that stands for something. That counts for something. It means something. And he earned every bit of it. And I know he earned his way into the hearts of, of Raider fans uh, who can identify with a guy like that. Here's a guy that you know wasn't drafted, um, had to come up the hard way. We used to talk all the time about how imagine had Alec been an undrafted free agent in 2020 when the pandemic hit 
You know, he he said clearly, you know, I took this as seriously as I could from day one of OTAs. I knew you have to make an impression ASAP, rookie orientation, rookie minicamp. Um, every, all the eyes are on you. How do you conduct yourself? How do you um, operate in the lunchroom, talking to people, in the classroom, all of that? He understood how important that time was. Uh, the 2020 class never got that um, because of the pandemic. All the all the uh, you know uh, team facilities were closed, so he took advantage of an opportunity. Um, he never complained. He played his role. He was a fierce blocker. Whether it was in pass blocking, this is a guy that was grading out at 80 in pass blocking. Um, that's pretty important, you know, when when you're talking about keeping your quarterback uh, upright. He was also a really good run blocker, short yardage uh, runner, could catch out of the backfield. So there was a lot to like. Unfortunately, his position, you know, um, not everybody even carries a fullback uh, anymore. So go ahead. It's funny that you say that because I watched a little bit of him on Busting with the Boys with Will Compton mm-hmm. and Taylor Juan. Good stuff. But it was just like he was talking. He was like, you know, he was talking about the difference between a Wisconsin practice oh, and yeah. an NFL practice. And he's saying, you know, they're putting, easier. On, they're putting on the pads. Yes. It, it, not only is it easier, but for him, the fullback as their position is basically going away. You feel bad for an NFL for an NFL fullback. He said most he was like Thursday's practice. He was just watching seven on seven. Yeah. Maybe he'd like catch a ball in the flat, you know, like right. warm up, do some running. Yeah. But he's like, he's like, practice. It's seven on I'm just watching seven on seven. And, and there's good so and bad. So you say that, like, it's so funny that you say that, like, oh, he, the hard work, yes. making the impression, got to do whatever I can to make the team. Right. And then you make the team and it's just like, eh. Well, and, and also, um, what, what, what kind of hurts you in that regard is that, it lessens the opportunity for him. His 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 position, his role was all about physicality. All right, and there's no physicality in these practices anymore. So, I remember. I think he might have said this uh, on that podcast, but I know he told me this too. Um, you know, he would he would attack every rep as if it was a game sometimes. And and you know, veterans don't necessarily like that. Like when you're coming up on somebody and laying a block on him, you're like, dude. What are you doing right now? Take it easy. Yes, take it easy. And who is the, the linebacker from the Bengals um, that uh, that ended up uh, playing his way out of the league on a uh, on some dirty plays? Vontez yeah. Burfitt. That's who he ran up against, and and he, you know it was basically one of those like that's the toughest dude over there on defense. I better bring it, <laughs> you know, and because he know he knew you know people are watching. You have to deliver right there, and uh, you know. Kind of, kind of going a little bit over, not overboard, but playing the game the way it's supposed to be played. But in today's NFL, you know that physicality has been reduced and reduced and reduced in practices. So uh, you know the veterans are kind of looking at him like, dude, take it easy out here. But uh, it helped uh, him make the team, and you know he was on his way really to one of his best seasons last year, but just bad timing with that knee injury, and you know he's not. 100% right now. Uh, he told me that, you know, the goal is to be ready to go full bore 100% by the time training camp, uh, you know, opens. But for the Raiders right now, they got a, it's full steam ahead trying to improve right now. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, there's a little bit of uncertainty right now in terms of 2022. So they, that train has to keep moving down the down, down the line. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not going to come back uh, to the Raiders, but more than likely, I think um, his future is someplace else. And, you know, we, we wish him the best. I think uh, it, it, he's too good of a football player for it, for it not to work out. Uh, but, but he's, 
you know, the Raiders non-tendered him. Uh, so uh, he's scheduled now to be a free agent uh, here pretty soon uh, on March 16th, li- literally when the, when free agency opens. So some moving and shaking as we sit, uh, sit here today, uh, around $35 million that the Raiders have under the cap. I think the needs are obvious. Um, you know, uh, right tackle, I think left guard, a perimeter cornerback. I don't think Casey Hayward's going to be back. Maybe even another cornerback, um, you know, to to help push or be um, insurance policy uh, for Trayvon Mullen, you know, who's now going into his fourth year too. So the clock is ticking uh, on, on on Trayvon in terms of, you know, this will be his la- the last year of his contract as well. So um, what are they going to do over there? Do they do they double down at cornerback? Whether it's the draft and free agency uh, in order to be not in a not just in a good position in 2022, but moving forward too, because you don't know what the future is going to be uh, for Trayvon Mullen. What do you do with Nate Hobbs at cornerback? There's as good as he was last year as a slot cornerback. His best position truly might be as a perimeter quarterback. Cornerback. Um, would the staff think about, you know, uh, moving him outside? That's a question that I'm going to uh, pose to uh, Patrick Graham tomorrow. We finally get a chance to talk to the new uh, offensive and defensive coordinators uh, tomorrow. Uh, Patrick Graham, the new defensive coordinator, uh, Mick Lombardi, the new offensive coordinator. But I, I'm really fascinated by Patrick Graham and what he's going to bring to the table and what it's going to look like because I think it helps answer a whole bunch of questions, uh, Demond, when you're talking about. That interior of the defensive line, which was played pretty well last year, I wouldn't say it was a strength, but it was sturdy. You know, when you're talking about Hankins and Darius Phylon and Solomon Thomas and Quentin Jefferson, it was it was sturdy. But all those guys are on their free agents as of March 16th. And the rumor mill has it that Quentin Jefferson might follow and go to right. Indianapolis. Yeah, I would imagine that a few of those guys would. Why wouldn't you? You just had really good years. You know, like a guy like Darius Phylon. That's the system that he knows. That's he played with, um, you know, under under Gus Bradley in in, in Los Angeles. So, um, you know, why why wouldn't you? What if, if that's a comfort level for you? You know, we talk about staff changing, and we talk about. Remember when we were talking about this, Demond? How all the coaches were coming out in favor of Rich Basaccia. We love Rich Basaccia. Well, like today's situation with Alec, that's a perfect example of it because, of course. The holdover players want the previous staff. That's who they've already impressed. That's who they've already developed relationships with. That's who they've uh, obviously developed a comfort level with. That's who your job security is with. That's what it comes down to. Because if Rich Versace is still the head coach, Alec Ingold, I don't think it's a question of if he's tendered or not. Yeah, and Greg Olson's still the offensive coordinator or, you know, somebody that runs kind of a similar system. It's 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 like any job, man. When you get a new boss, it's Anxious times because you're like, okay, um, I got along really well with the other boss, but there's no guarantees that we're going to hit it off, or or my skill set is going to be, um, you know, uh, appealing to the new staff and what and what they're doing. And as Dave Ziegler said, hey, there's hard decisions. This was a hard decision. I know that they don't have anything invested this new staff, but there's a lot of people in Henderson that do have a lot invested in Alec Ingold as a person and as a player. Um, but there's hard decisions. It doesn't mean, it's, and, and as Dave Ziegler pointed out, it's not necessarily an indictment on the person. It's just that, hey, 
we're, we do things a little bit differently or now there's a duplicate skill set or we don't really do that. So, uh, but there's landing yeah. places out there. The only per- the only player I feel like that, like when they saw the new moves coming in was Hunter Renfro. He probably was the only person fist bumping of like, I know I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause that's, and Waller, I would say Waller. They'll figure it out with Waller. I, yeah. But you're right. In the huddle, Vinny Monsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Radio National Radio, 920 AM on a Thursday. Thanks, Vinny. Back to work. I'm out. We'll see ya. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Okay, doing some math here, uh, Damon. Right now, according to uh, Spot Track, this is my uh, go-to for salary cap. So if the Raiders are at $34.5 million under the cap, all right? But that's not accounting yet for the release of Corey Littleton. Uh, let's release Corey Littleton right now. That brings it up to $36 million. So it's a it's a little bit of a uh, – they'll get about a million or so, um, $2 million or so for cutting uh, uh, Corey Littleton right now. And then, um, all right, let's just say these are the names that, you know, I hate taking people's jobs away from them. But uh, let's just say Carl Nassib, that gets it up to $39.3 million. Nick Kwiatkowski, that gets it up to $42.6 million under the salary cap. Those are names that you often hear, um, you know, being being bandied about. Denzel Good is another name. I'm not saying that these moves are going to happen, but just for argument's sake, that, that gets it up to – uh, right around $47 million under the cap if you make those moves. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but if you want to create another $10 million or so, $12 million or so, those are the moves um, that you would make. Uh, other players, Denzel Perryman, you know, does he fit into this new system? Does he fit, um, you know, in, in the new scheme? Uh, I don't know. Those are questions. Again, I can't wait to talk to Patrick Graham tomorrow and uh, and and try to get his thoughts on on where things are uh, defensively and what the what the grand plan is. You know, talking to Josh McDaniels over the last you know over at Indianapolis and when he first uh, came aboard uh, at his introductory press conference. All right, look, we get caught up in four three three four, all of that type of stuff. Typically nowadays, you're playing in your base defense probably about twenty percent of the time. Whatever your base alignment is, whether it's a four three, a three four, whatever the case is, you're typically in that about twenty percent of the time. Eighty uh, percent of the time, you've got another cornerback on the field, or you've got two more cornerbacks on the field. You're taking linebackers out. Uh, you're putting, you know, more defensive line. It's 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 so we get caught up in it, but we may get a little bit caught uh, caught up in it a, a little bit too much. That said, you know, you have to draft players. You have to bring players in that accentuate and can fit whatever your scheme is, your gap assignments, um, where you're going to be lined up, what uh, area you're going to be um, occupying and taking care of and trying to neutralize. And if you're not physically built to, um, you know, uh, take care of that gap assignment, take care of whatever it is that you're being asked to do in that scheme, then you know, you move on from that player and bring in somebody that can. And that's why, you know, I'm so curious about that defensive line and especially those free agents along the defensive line in Quentin Jefferson and Darius Phylon and Solomon Thomas and um, uh, do that Jonathan Hankins, do they fit? 
are they a fit for this for this particular defense? Uh, and if not, where do they go to find guys that do fit? You've got the draft, you've got free agency. Um, you know, you've got uh, there are some available players. This is a a, a good, a, a fairly deep class along the uh, in the interior of the defensive line for um, in the in the draft. And there's some pretty interesting possibilities in free agency as well. So we'll we'll see. Um, but you know, first and foremost, again, and I keep reiterating it. Now, today, more than ever, um, and I'm not trying to be overreactionary uh, to what the Chargers did today, but it just, you know, what the Chargers did by bringing in Khalil Mack and creating a real two-headed monster uh, in terms of the pass rush, uh, pairing him up on one side uh, with Joey Bosa on the other. Sometimes you're going to rush him, you know, off the same side, uh, which would be a nightmare for for anybody. Uh, but what? But what? If you're the Raiders knowing that you have to fix that offensive line regardless, it just accentuates that and places even more, I think, urgency on it. You can't go into next season without addressing the offensive line, without improving the offensive line. If if the Raiders can't do that, um it's 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 gonna be a problem. It was a problem last year. It was a problem last year protecting Derek Carr on a consistent basis. It was a problem last year creating a run game on a consistent basis, and they can't repeat that. I know a lot worked against the Raiders with that offensive line. There were injuries, and there were guys that just weren't able to um, be the players that the Raiders thought right off the bat, Uh, talking specifically about Alex Leatherwood. So getting that squared away is a key. They have to do it, and it has to happen pretty soon. I know that there's some great options uh, in, in in the draft, but I think over this next week or so, they're going to be able to really um, round it out in a way that allows them to go into the draft to be, as Dave Ziegler uh, pointed out last week in Indianapolis, just a team that focuses on best player available, stocking the roster with as many best players available, creating depth, creating competition, um, and then letting that, putting that into the hands of the coaches to create the best possible situation, not reaching, not overreacting. Um, even with the news today and over the last couple of days, I think the Raiders have to stay true to that plan and not overreact to it. I felt like we've talked about this, you know, the last couple of years when there were needs at wide receiver and there were needs at uh, along the offensive line, um, the Raiders went in that direction in the draft, which isn't a bad thing, and also cornerback. But it was the players that they drafted that, that, that they reached for in Damon Arnett and maybe even Alex Leatherwood. You hope for the best for Alex Leatherwood, and I think he still could be a fine player. But it's hard to argue that he was the seventh best player, 17th best player in the draft at that point last year. And... Damon Arnett was not the 19th best player uh, at that position. He wasn't even the best cornerback available uh, at that uh, uh, position in the draft. So I want to say thanks to uh, uh, Doug Kyed for from Profile Focus for joining us. Uh, always enjoy talking to him. I want to, thanks to say thanks to all the callers. Uh, I know you're feeling it a little bit, um, and rightfully so, but 
chill out. Uh, it's all good. It's only March 10th. There's a lot of work to be done, but the work hasn't really even started in terms of the heavy lifting for the Raiders. Let's see where it all stands uh, in about a month and a half or so, uh, and then really start looking at, okay, where does this put them uh, with their peers in the AFC West and the AFC and in the NFL? Devon Cotton, thanks for everything that you do. We're back at it tomorrow from live from the Treasure Island Hotel, uh, the Golden Circle Sportsbook. If you're around, come on by. We're there from 4 to 6. Have some fun with us in the huddle. Brought to you by Tequila and Bajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM.